Movies and Booze. I'm Moncrief on News Talk. Yes, it is. And it's time for uh, Movies and Booze. And John from Leash uh, has been quick out of, the, uh, out of the blocks on this one. He says, I'd like to criticise your critics' boorish criticism of The Whale last week. I saw it last weekend and by no means is it as bad as it was critiqued on your show. The film isn't for everyone, but deserved more constructive criticism, uh, says John. That was uh, the um, critique last week from uh, Brian Lloyd and pretty much every single film reviewer who has seen it uh, so far. But, John, you can rest assured uh, we've a step up in class this week. We are joined by Rachel Ryan, Gene Smollett and Chris Wasser who who loved The Whale, no doubt. Oh, it's a cinematic masterpiece. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> terrible, John. Get up out of that garden. Yeah, John liked it though. Uh, good luck to him. Yeah. But <laughs> as Gene remarked, watching somebody eat themselves to death isn't exactly the story arc. Yeah, Most people would, it's kind know. of weird though that it turns out to be something else entirely. It's it's a weird, it's almost like a biblical piece in a way. Um, he is good in the Brendan Fraser, but the film is just all over the place. It's like watching a bad play. Right. It is based on a play, isn't it? It is based yeah. on a play, but absolutely no effort has gone into... Uh, basically, you know, turning it into something cinematic. You know, it still kind of retains the the staginess of a play. You know, characters knock on doors mm. before they enter a room. The lights come down to let you know when a scene is finished. Everyone kind of you know walks towards the camera as though they're walking towards an audience member when they're having a mm. big you know moment with their feelings. It's no effort has gone into to making it a film. So yeah, it is such a shame to kind of see that this is Brendan Fraser's comeback performance. I think he actually did deserve better. Yeah. So uh, your place or mine, uh, which obviously isn't an invitation. To Chris, it's uh, the name of a new release on Netflix. Uh, it is, yeah, uh, with Ashton Kutcher and with Reese Witherspoon. That will be one of the films we're looking at today. It is their attempt to make a successful romantic comedy together and also to make a successful romantic comedy without either of them or without these, you know, very famous actors sharing a scene together. Now, we will talk about how okay. that has been done before, yeah. uh, but this is their attempt. And we'll also talk about those hilarious red carpet photos where Ashton Kutcher and Reese Witherspoon have basically struggled to conjure up an ounce of chemistry between them. Oh, well, um, that's- that's a major snag. And knock out the cabin. Uh, yeah. M Night Shot uh, shenanigans again. Because uh, <laughs> uh, I never get his it name is right. The, uh, latest M Night Shyamalan horror, who uh, has been on a very uh, tricky, trippy path since The Sixth Sense, but has given us some wonderful horrors and uh, terrifying thrillers uh, over the last few years. Some say he's kind of back on form. Not too sure about that. But yeah, this is his latest. It's got big Dave Bautista in it, big thoughtful action man, mm. and uh, wonderful setup. But we'll get to whether or not it's any use later. Yeah. Okay. And Portuguese wines today, Jay. Yeah, we're looking at what they call green Portugal, which is basically uh, all the vineyard areas along the Atlantic coast where actually you could be in the west of Ireland except for the fact that there's actually vines growing there. Mm. It's very similar and in terms sunny. of the geography. It's probably that Yeah, too. they have a little more sunshine. <laughs> but I mean, the big selling point are the unique grape varieties that Portugal has that you just will not get anywhere else. I mean, names like Fernau Pires or Castelau, you know. There's even one called Eschagana Cow, which actually literally translates into strangling dog. That's a real mm. job for a marketing department to yeah. work on. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> I want to see the yeah, label on that yeah, wine. But, but, you know, they are unique and it's an amazing story. So um, we have two lovely wines, one from Minau up in the north, Vina Verde, and the second one from Lisboa, which is, you know, uh, around the area in Torres Vedras and near Obidos. And it's a fabulous red. Yeah. Now, Rachel, yes, Faulty Tom. Towers coming back. It's, it's I don't know. <laughs> I mean, they make... Remakes of all sorts of. I know this is a, this is a, you know a, a, a sequel. A, it's kind a of thing. it's a reboot, is what they're describing it as, and it is supposed to be taking place forty years after the original series, and it has been forty years since the original series. 
very mixed thoughts on this. It was announced earlier this week, John Cleese himself announced it. I think a lot of people are worried that it's going to ruin Faulty Towers. A lot of people loved Faulty Towers. It was very of its time. It was in the 70s. And I think a lot of people are worried that it's just going to be ruined if it comes back. And I mean, my big thing is, is that it was very of the time and a lot of the jokes and things that happened in 1979 will not fly in 2023. Now, what we know about it is uh, John did an interview, I think just yesterday, to say that he's going to be in the Caribbean this time. So he's going to be running a small hotel on an elite Caribbean island. Uh, His daughter is going to be in this. Her name is Camilla Cleese. She's co-writing it with him and she's going to be starring in it as his long-lost daughter. Uh, So... uh, I can't really see this going very well for them. I mean, maybe we'll be surprised, but like, in fairness, the man is 83, 84. Like, well, I don't really know why he's bothering to do it at all. Like, surely he's kind of made his money at this stage. I don't know. I don't know. He seems kind of in the last few years to be perpetually frustrated by mm. something. Yes. Uh, he's, he's, he's full cranky old man thing. Doesn't he, doesn't he have a show on GB News and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, yeah. And someone, there was a headline saying this is going to be an anti-woke nightmare, the new Faulty Towers and he's come out to say, no, I don't think that's true at all. You don't know what it's going to be like. Um, and I also get the impression he hasn't uh, wrote a lot of it. <laughs> he's like, I don't know what it's going to be like because I haven't written a lot of the episodes. So it remains oh. to be seen. I think, uh, I don't think this is going to do anyone any favours. It, it doesn't need to be, it doesn't need to be re- rebooted. No, no. Because I suppose the original Faulty Basil Fawlty was a very politically un- incorrect yeah. person anyway and, and it was that dynamic between Basil and the people around him being you know somewhat horrified by the things that, that, that he used to say so I assume he's going to do the same yeah. except so um, many years later it's kind of like mm. He said he said I like I think they purposely put it in the Caribbean so he can kind of Get have a, a nice get, holiday get, from Well, yeah, yeah, but he also said it becomes very multiracial there and uh, it's going to be like a bit of a pressure cooker. So I think he didn't want to keep it where it was, but in the Caribbean, there might be a few more characters that he can be probably politically incorrect about, which uh, I'm like, oh my I don't. God, uh, right, so it's a kind of broad dispersal racism he can indulge in. That's yeah. fantastic for him. Yeah, exactly. That's really um, nice. So I think I'll watch it, but um, it won't be any good. I think we can safely say that now. Oh, somebody says, doesn't John Cleese live in the Caribbean? I don't know. Maybe he does. does. He I don't know. I think if John Cleese hadn't spent the last 10 years becoming this sort of living embodiment of that meme of that old man shouting at the cloud, if yeah. he hadn't done that, if he hadn't set up this imaginary war in his head against, you know, woke culture... I think you'd say, oh, Faulty Terrors reboot. Mm. Yeah, let's see how that goes. But it does seem as though it's coming from a place because I think the official line for it is that it will follow, you know, a cranky Basil uh, navigating the modern world. It's like this is going to be basically full of the old man struggling to, you know, uh, struggling with gender pronouns or struggling to understand how young people. I think it's going to be quite mean spirited, to be honest. I don't think it's going to be a Faulty Terror show. I think it's going to be John Mm. Cleese just gets annoyed about the world. Well, you see, though that concept is an interesting concept. Really? If, If you did, well, no, I mean, if it wasn't John Cleese doing it. <laughs> uh, it's an interesting kind of old man struggles to deal with the, with the world. And yeah. If there's a bit of kindness in it, then... then you, yeah, and, and, yeah, and, yeah. and if yeah. it was given a story arc, then maybe you could see yeah. that, that would be interesting. But, I, you know, he wants to win. If he does live in the Caribbean... He does, yeah. Apparently he moved there in 2019. What? So he's just bringing a, a camera crew out to film him basically just living his life. Okay. That's what it's... It's almost yeah. like a John Cleese documentary. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, because he's disgusted at the state of political discourse in his home country uh, and with the press, which he described as lying and says living in the Caribbean where life is safe and beautiful. 
And yes, and the people of colour do what I'm told, do what they're told by me. Oh my God. Uh, somebody else says, I'm delighted for John Cleese. He'll finally be able to say the things that he feels he can't say anymore. Yes, the poor thing, going around with a gag in his mouth the whole time. Uh, right, OK, so um, from that potentially depressing news to... Oh, more new films and franchises! Yay! Woohoo! Yeah, this is this. These are Disney films, though, Sean. So yeah. don't be too disgruntled about it. Uh, the, yeah, very exciting news for Disney fans. So we have a lot of sequel news. Toy Story is getting its fifth instalment, if you can believe it. Now, we were chatting about this earlier, myself and Chris, and generally, I think now five movies in a franchise is, is one, two, like, it's not really necessary. Yeah, yeah. But I have to say, I have enjoyed every single Toy Story movie. Absolutely. I, yeah. I, like, I go into them expecting, oh my God, are they going to let me down this time? Because I've watched these since I was like three or four years old. They're a part of my life. Uh, so, you know, they, they haven't disappointed me yet. So I'm excited to see what the fifth instalment will bring. Now, if you've seen the end of the fourth one, you kind of know that... Woody is kind of going off on his own, shall we say. No spoilers here. But there's lots of room for a lot of adventure. Uh, Tom Hanks, Tim Allen, we don't know yet if they're on board, but like, of course, they're going to be. Um, So yeah, remains to be seen. Frozen. Now, I think kids will love this. Parents will be a little bit horrified uh, that Frozen is getting a third movie. Now, I don't think they'll be singing Let It Go in the third movie. I don't think they No, can. but the, the, there's a, yeah, each song has their kind of central song, no doubt. No. Be Would they on that. dare? Yeah. I think they might do just to torment the parents. Uh, but this was completely set up from the end of the second movie. Um, I don't want to say too much in case no people haven't seen it, but it's been very set up that there's going to be a third movie. Yeah, yeah it's not a surprise. It's really. not a surprise. Yeah. Lots of room for adventure. We don't have a date for it. Uh, but these two films and the franchises have made Disney billions. And as we know, they're letting go a lot of staff so they need to get some money in the coffers you slipped in letting go there uh, <laughs> anyway no matter what <laughs> the, the, actually the thing I find interesting about that is that Toy Story kind of has my ob- observation Toy Story has a wider age range for kids now because adults can watch it as well and, and love it but say I have a daughter who has gone out of the Frozen phase now. Oh, really? So when it, when Frozen 3 comes out, will she care? Well, I, I wonder, mean, or will they be, have the, the job of work of trying to attract in a different generation into watching those? But I, I, I brought the my nephew, who's now in his mid to late 30s, to the first Toy Story, because I cried. I thought it was brilliant, right? Now he has a child and, you know, one day I might even be bringing her to it. So it's generational, I, I think. Toy, and Toy Story has oh, such Oh, no, Toy great. Story is, is such oh, a great story, just, storytelling. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, uh, but Frozen. I I saw Frozen as, as an adult, the first one, and I really liked it. And I went to see the second one, and I will see the third one. So I think it's okay. It's yeah, there's that too. I'm not saying it's not going to make money, but uh, oh, it'll. But, but in terms of, I and mean, I'm judging this solely on the basis of what's cool on your lunchbox. Uh, that you know, that's you know that, that like for seven year olds now, and that's no not Frozen anymore. It's something else, you know. Oh yeah, because you go through Paw Patrol and then you go through Frozen, and, and you know there's a whole there's yeah. a whole pile of branded crap somewhere it's in a true, shed in my house. But it can always be passed down. Olaf works on everything. I think. What comes after Frozen? Thawing, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. That's, yeah, I walked into that. Uh, um, uh, folks, your critical review of Cleese etc. is fine, but please ease off on the ageist comments. Ageism is the final <laughs> frontier, but oldies seem to be the last in the woke queue. I'm 67 and can tell you there's no end to oldies comments. So casually said, John. Everyone, uh, everyone's a little bit sensitive today, aren't they? I know. I'm sorry, John. It's okay. I'm an oldie and I'm not sensitive. <laughs> yeah. Okay, there's like several uh, oldies here. I mean, I, I didn't know. Was the, was the criticism aimed? I know. There's a kind of a stereotype, but John Cleese is almost 
feeding into that stereotype. Uh, somebody else said John Cleese is on a post-divorce money-making drive. Apparently he spent £12 million on his last uh, divorce, uh, paying out 650 grand a year to his ex in what he describes as feeding the beast. Mm. <laughs> Obviously it was an amicable split there. Uh, right, let's have our okay. first glass of wine. Yeah. <laughs> we need it at this stage, right. Okay. Um, yes, this one This one is, uh, an. Uh, this one comes from uh, Vino Verde. It's Vino Verde from Minau. And um, this is made from a grape called Alvarino, which, guess what, is actually the same grape as the uh, Alvar- Alvarino that you find in Galicia in northwest Spain. It's just the Portuguese pronunci- name for it is a different name. It's different, you know, obviously it's Portuguese rather than Spanish. Um, this, oh, sorry, I haven't even taken it. Yeah. <laughs> this is um, the 2021 Alvarino Poco Common and it's 16.99, and you'll get it in Higgins and Klonski, Latouche and Greystones, Pinto Wines in Drumcondra, Jus de Vine in Port Marnock. You get the drift. It's all the really good specialist independent shops all around um, Ireland and um, mostly in mainly in independent off licences. Now, the thing about um, Vino Verde is it's usually a low alcohol wine. It's got about eight degrees alcohol by volume. And when they produce it, they deliberately leave a little bit of CO2 in it, which is a slight petulance, a little bit of spritz. That is the traditional wine style. Now, this one is actually a premium Vino Verde. It's made from 100% Alvarino. And that's a grape variety that now has become so popular. I was looking at a chart recently. It's the eighth most popular white grape variety in the Irish market, the Sauvignon, mm. of course, being yeah. the first. So it's actually, for people who love Sauvignon or those acidity, very acidic white grapes, it's really gaining traction on this market. Now, most people People will go for to you know with Galicia and Raya Spaxis for their Alberino, but I just think Vino Verde and particularly this premium one made from 100% Alberino is absolutely gorgeous. Now the characteristics of the the grape, and you certainly get it. Stick your nose in there. Pure peach. It's really, it's mm, very, very peachy. fruity. V- quite fruit forward. This is 12% alcohol by volume and it's got a little bit of CO2. You can see the tiny bit mm. of spritz. You it's know. got a little bit of zing in it. Yeah. A little bit of zing in it. And yeah. then when you try it, you get that key factor. What makes this grape so acidity? Mm. This is this is a great with fish. One of the great um, <laughs> comments you always use when describing wine, um, particularly in acidic white wine or any any cream based sauces. This is really lovely. It's a little step up, seventeen euro. It doesn't come cheap, but if you want something, if you're cooking at home um, over the weekend and you're planning on cooking fish or even any you know white meat, chicken or pork or anything and you want something really special to sit down and enjoy just the two of you, this is definitely one to go for. The uh, Puko Common Alvarino 2021 in independent off-licenses. Okay, good stuff. Uh, Vincent at Ocean... A lot of comments on Faulty Towers. Uh, Vincent (laughs) at Ocean Ireland says, I lived in the Caribbean for 20 years. It is the most un-PC place in the world. Not being the overly sensitive type, I used to fall around the place laughing at the outrageous comments people would come out with. Hell for the woke types, uh, says Vincent. Uh, Someone else wonders, the physical comedy was exceptional in the old series can Cleese hardly do that in his 80s well I don't know uh, I don't know how kind of fit he is but you probably won't see him whacking whacking the crap out of his car with a bit of a tree or any, any of those kind of things uh, John in Limerick says I can't wait uh, Cleese winding up the snowflakes millennials Gen Z's and the woke brigade uh, says uh, uh, John who, who claims he's a cranky old gate inter- but they haven't said what TV channel it's going to be on it's not going to be on oh, the BBC oh sorry yeah he came out this week to say it's not going to be on the BBC because they won't give him enough editorial control obviously like, they're not going to let him say what he wants and the jokes that he wants to say so they, they don't have a TV channel yet I assume somewhat <laughs> somewhere like <laughs> Channel 4 or something 
Maybe there'll be a special channel that he can put it on. I'd say it's going to be American because Rob Reiner's producing it with Castle Rock. Right, uh, yeah, okay. Yeah. Oh, great. I, I know, I'm thinking Rob should know better, but like this is the guy who gave a spinal tap and when Harry met Sally and... Um, well, it's good. It's too good to pass up if it's if, if it's Faulty Towers remake. You know? That's it's true. It's going to be yeah. watched even out of interest. You I'd know? say it's going to end up on a streamer. It'll end up on a traditional American yeah. network, but we'll get it on the streamer here. Yeah, probably not Channel 4. Yeah. They more specialise in my grotesque genitalia type programs <laughs> naked attraction and the I, like I, yeah. I haven't <laughs> seen that show movies and booze I'm Moncrief on News Talk I don't know what's going on here but where are the keys to the truck you guys came in I'm taking my family and we're leaving do you really think that everything that happened today everything we've seen really think it's all just a coincidence? Yes. I think it's all coincidence. Some horrible, unexplainable coincidence. Or it has to be a trick. I have to believe that. You already don't believe that. Ooh. That's uh, Knock at the Cabin. Uh, that's in cinemas. Cinemas right now, Chris? It is in cinemas yeah. right now, yes. So what is the premise? Of this the premise is that a family of three, we have uh, uh, Eric and Andrew, played by Jonathan Groff and Ben Aldridge, and they are enjoying this remote, quiet, lovely, fairy tale-esque getaway uh, in rural America with their young adoptive daughter, Wen, played by Kristen Quay. And she is playing with uh, grasshoppers and caterpillars at the front of the cabin when all of a sudden this mountain of a man who calls himself Leonard, he's portrayed by Dave Bautista, mm-hmm. walks up to her and you're thinking, well, this is not going to go well. Uh, but he turns out to be this very pleasant, very, you know, he's, he's quite delightful, actually. He's uh, he's a bit of a teacher. He also he happens to be built like, you know, a superhero. Mm. Uh, but he just says that, he, you know, I want I want to make friends with you. And then he drops a bombshell, which is that he's going to have to, the family are going to have to make a terrible decision. Some friends of his then show up. They knock on the cabin. There we have the title reveal. And they tell this family that the family, that the world is going to end that Leonard, this mountain of a man, and his three friends, they also have weapons, Sean, very terrifying weapons. They have all seen visions. They've all had, had these visions of the end of the world. And they know that if this family doesn't make a blood sacrifice the world will end and the longer they leave us every hour that they leave us a new plague will descend upon the world you know the the sky will literally fall or in the case of this you know planes start falling from out of the sky uh, there will be floods we see that you know there are earthquakes off the west coast of america there are you know thousand foot high tsunamis and that's a new pandemic will come about and i found that actually quite terrifying um but uh, yeah so you're thinking to yourself is it you know is is there is there any truth in what these guys are saying uh, you know are we de- dealing with a group of bigots here because we are dealing with the same sex couple um, or is it a little bit of both and Shyamalan keeps his guessing right up until the end so that's right. the basic okay. and are they seeing all these catastrophes through the, screens so that's the thing. thing yeah so they, they, they essentially tie this family up and every time that they you know decide they give them a few different opportunities they say you know you're going to have to sacrifice yourself and then something happens which I won't go into with the group that makes them kind of think oh maybe, maybe something sinister is happening here you know they're actually hurting themselves they switch on the TV and they show you that something something has happened. It's kind of one of those films, Sean, where 
you know, in order to move the plot along, we now move to Sky News and BBC and they'll yeah. help, you know, fill in, you know, yeah. some, some expositional gaps. Um, so you do get to see some kind of grainy footage. Shyamalan is quite good at that. At kind of, you know, terrifying you with, with uh, you know, this just in. Someone, remember that scene in Signs where there was a birthday yeah. party and an alien walked down the street? Uh, very cheaply done, but quite effective. So yeah, Shyamalan's up to his usual tricks here. I think the difference is, although he did this with his last film, Old, um, he used to be quite famous for writing his own stories from scratch. Yeah. And what he started to do now is adapt other people's stories uh, and some of it works out well for him here he's actually adapting a novel by Paul Tremblay called The Cabin at the End of the World but the reason that they've changed the name and the reason that he gets a writer, writer's credit here is because I think Shyamalan wrote or, or read uh, a script that had already been written he read the novel and there's something and I don't want to get into the spoilers but I do want to discuss okay. it there's something that happens in the towards the end of the novel that is just drastic and terrifying and just horrible but also a, a, a good payoff for kind of you know keeping you invested you know for kind of keeping you on the edge of your seat throughout Shyamalan decided to change that and this is an, an, an ending that since the book was published three or four years ago people have been talking about anyone that's read it they have been talking about this ending but he didn't want to do that ending because it is quite drastic and I don't know if a major studio would get behind what sort this sort of ending it's difficult not to talk about what that yes, ending is okay. but he changed it and as a result then changed changed the title um, so is it any use the setup is brilliant the story is fantastic Dave Bautista here is very very good and like all Shyamalan's greats even when he's at his wobbliest look at the sixth sense great ideas you know mm. kid you know this kid is talking to a dead therapist look at science you know family hides out in the barn from an alien invasion look at Unbreakable you know this guy who survives a train crash and genuinely believes that he's a superhero fantastic ideas it's just to pay off. It, there's an awful lot of hot air here and there's an awful lot of waiting around for something, you know, it, you're, you're being told all the time all the things that are going to happen. So that kind of kills any suspense. It kind of mm. kills any twists, which is ironic given that he used to be famous for twists. Yeah. Um, and also a problem with Shyamalan's films are... I. I don't know... The, the man talks to people every day of his life. How does he? How is he not able to write you know, dialogue that sounds as though it might have been spoken by a human. It's quite robotic. Um, and also in removing that drastic ending, which I knew about going into this, you know, uh, when I, and I knew about that, that ending, I should say, removing that and, Shyamalan kind of he, he doesn't really know what to do he doesn't want to create something horrific so instead he kind of gives us a whole lot of nothing at the end and it's a little bit confusing I kind of spent the last 20 minutes of this film going wait so it's what it's real it's not real it's real is it both is it nothing at all yeah, yeah, you know, and I'm, again I'm desperately trying not to spoil anything here but it just amounts to a whole lot of nothing which is a shame because the ingredients are good Dave Bautista is very good it's atmospheric it got me with the opening scene when Leonard first walks up to the little girl it just Again, all set up, no payoff. Uh, that's interesting thing, though. I mean, is there a bit of a thing in Hollywood? And particularly, maybe it's the thing that afflicts his movies, that producers ruin the end because they say, well, no one's going to, that's not going to test well if there's yeah. warm and huggies at the end or something approaching warm and huggies. Interesting. All I can, all I can say is I'm, I'm looking forward to, you know, a few months down the line when you can actually openly discuss everything yeah. about this film. But I do think that Shyamalan just got in there before the studio did because the studio were like, no, oh, you're not ending your film like that. Um, all I can say is I, I, if anyone's listening that has watched The Mist by Stephen King and read The Mist by Stephen King, we're dealing with a very similar situation there where one okay. of those had a very drastic ending and the other one kind of did nothing. Um, yeah. So yeah, uh, give it a go if you are a fan of Shyamalan and I am and I go into every new M. Night Shyamalan film thinking this is going to be the one where he wins me back. Um, but yeah, the second half just let me down. Yeah. Jonathan Groff is in this. He is? Yeah. He's also, he plays Kristoff in Frozen. 
Oh, and oh, it's yeah, come yeah. full circle. They're it's all tied in together. <laughs> that's, uh, um, that, that's a little interesting for his brand. And uh, in, in a shock announcement, Channel 4 have announced they're going to have a, a, a really, really rude puppet show called The Really, Really Rude Puppet Show. Yeah, and a really, yeah. really original title as yeah. well. Uh, they, maybe they spent the money ex- uh, elsewhere. Probably, probably. Uh, but yeah, we were just speaking there about Channel 4. They love to have just a little bit kind of wacky, little bit saucy shows. So it's called A Really, Really Rude Puppet Show. And the title says it all. There's not much more to it. Uh, what we're going to see is celebrities being interviewed by uh, Mel. Do you know Mel from Mel and Sue in the Great British Bake Off? Yeah. She is hosting it and she's kind of perfect for this kind of show. She's going to interview celebrities and then they're going to read out erotic fiction, fan fiction about themselves. And meanwhile, puppets are going to be enacting this uh, said fiction. And I mean, okay. I, I don't know if there's going to be like an, an ongoing commentary on what's happening or, you know, th- there's going to be a kind of a, a review afterwards or they're going to kind of delve into like, you know, the, the kind of English behind the fiction, if it was well written, you know, going to talk about prose. I don't know. Uh, but that is the basic premise for this show. And they already have some like, I mean, they're not like A-list celebrities, but like well-known celebrities on board. Martin Kemp, who a lot of people will know from EastEnders, is taking part. Sam Thompson from Made in Chelsea is taking part. And Kerry Catone is going to be making an appearance as well. So um, really, really rude and really, really fascinating. I am very curious. It sounds like Sex in the City, but with puppets. <laughs> That's what I'm kind of getting from this. I imagine a qualifying uh, criteria would have to be you have had... Um, erotic fiction written after you fan fiction written yeah. yeah but a lot of people a lot of celebrities have there's a whole world for fan fiction for all sorts of celebrities now people like I don't know Made in Chelsea reality stars I am a bit surprised that there is but listen people are into what they're into and I'm certainly going to watch this yeah. purely just and I mean the, like the puppets themselves I don't know are they going to look very like the celebrities how are they going to deal with and make- where's the rude bit well, I, see I suppose the, the, the puppets well, do rude things. Well, is that what it is? They're going to be doing rude things, Sean. Oh, <laughs> yeah. yes. And I assume like they're, they're not going to be wearing like puppet clothes. I assume they're going to have to have naked puppets. I'm just picturing the Muppets. Yeah, okay. Yeah. With the Muppets with no clothes on. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, okay. Fair enough. Yeah, I think it's going <laughs> to... Yeah. I'm going to watch it. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of... I had a little twinge when you said uh, Martin Kemp of EastEnders. I would have said oh. Martin Kemp from Spandau Ballet. <laughs> oh. The whole EastEnders thing passed me by. Uh, I've got to say that. Uh, now, actually, there's something you... Well, you know, it might have some promise. Uh, great expectations with Olivia Coleman in it. Might have some expectations for this one. Yeah, the first trailer for this was released this week. So this is going to be a new six-part series on the BBC. It is an adaptation of the Charles Dickens novel which I read as a child right and then today I was like I better just like what is that about and reading it I'm like God none of this went into my head I completely forgot what it's about so it's about um, an orphan called Pip who gets taken in by Miss Havisham who uh, you think that's good for him but not really because she was tilted at the altar and she spends her whole life in a wedding dress um, in her house and uh, she also adopted another girl called Estella and her whole plan her whole life is is to raise Estella to get men to fall in love with her and then break their hearts in a big plot of revenge. Yeah. So Olivia Coleman is starring as Miss Havisham in this series and we got our first look at her this week. She looks, I mean, she looks brilliant. She looks dishevelled. She looks like she's and been... And she's Miss Havisham. She's Miss Havisham. Havisham. Yeah, yeah, it's a bit of a hard hard. She'd be a great Miss Havisham, actually. She yeah. would, and she's got kind of, yeah, she is a bit freaky and she looks really, really, really good in it. I like Olivia Coleman. I think she gets, I'm not going to say typecast, but I feel like she's almost the same 
in every role that she plays. Didn't love her as the Queen in The Crown. Um, she looks the same in this as she does in The Favourite, where she plays the Queen who's gone slightly bonkers. And I just feel like I've seen too many interviews with her as Olivia Colman that I can no longer separate Olivia Colman, the person from the actor and her characters. But okay, it looks that's like a good trailer. Yeah. She talks a lot as well about how she never rehearses for any roles. She barely learns her lines. Chris looks surprised. That's not, that's not exactly a, you know, give me and more I work. I, exactly. I, I, I'll do nothing for and you. And she comes on Graham Norton and she always forgets the name of the movies that she's promoting. And I don't know, Olivia's just, just done a few things to kind of tick me off. But she looks good in this role. Okay. Yeah. Right. Right. Well, there you go. With Paul Meskell, the one on Netflix. The, oh, the, the Irish the one, I, yeah. The, Where she's um, on a beach. She's on a beach, yeah. The, lost, yeah. the lost Daughter, is it? Or Yeah, I did. Yeah. I didn't yeah. watch that one there. She's very good in that. Is she? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, but, Chris. But she ain't got much dialogue in that, so maybe she doesn't learn her lines. Yeah. She clearly doesn't. Yeah. No. Or okay, maybe- well, we'll move on from your, your, your crazed anti-Olivia Coleman rant. Um, Aiden on Twitter says, they will never tap the marionette sex scene in Team America World Police. Aiden, that's like, you know, that's Oscar stuff. So uh, we, we couldn't even expect that uh, from some smutty show on, on in the middle of the night on Channel 4. Movies and booze on Moncrief on News Talk. Let's uh, let's toast their success, Jean, Absolutely. with our next wine. Um, this is uh, the 2018 Colossal Reserva. It's a Vino Regional from Lisboa. Um, 15.99, um, independent of like you get in Matson's in Cork, in Red Island in Skerries, um, Martin's in Fairview. You kind of get the drift. Um, I actually visited this state about 20 years ago, um, Casa Santos Limas. And what I actually remember about it was they had dinosaur fossils and they brought, brought us to see them. So, I mean, you're talking like very, very ancient history and all these standing stones and everything. The dinosaur fossils actually just like looked like a big rock in the ground. So there wasn't, you know, hmm. it was it was grand but yeah, yeah you know I wasn't kind of bowled over by it but anyway but what you have here you're 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 in a, in a region called Torres Vedras and Casa Santos Limas is a huge producer. I mean, they, they're absolutely mega, you know. Uh, they've got about 160 hectares of vin- vineyards. They've been in business since about 1990 and they make very, very, very good wine. Now, this wine is a blend of three kind of native red grapes that you get in Portugal. Torriga Nacional, which is probably the best known because it's the key red grape in the Douro where they make port and still red wine. Alicante Bouchette, which is actually not Portuguese. It's a, high, a, a cloned grape, or not hybrid. Um, it's um, It was created in a vine nursery in France in 1865. and um, But it's actually found its native home, its natural home in Portugal. And then Tintororish, which is quite an interesting grape because in Spain it's known as Tempranillo. And mm. um, in this part of um, uh, uh, Portugal it's known as Tintororish. And then in um over in Alentejo, it's known as uh, Aragonés. So it's the same grape, but it's uh, so it's basically Tempranillo. So each brings something there. like you get the big, you know, black currant, deep, intense fruit and complexity coming from the Triga Nacional. The Alicante Bouchette is is kind of a you know it's a lighter style, and then the Tintororish. Each of those grapes brings something new to, or to the thing. This is a big spicy red wine, right? And this is this is perfect if you're you know having sort of roast dinner at the weekend and you want something to go with it. Um, it's garnered a lot of awards. In fact, it got 91 points in uh, Wine Enthusiast. I think for 16 quid, this is actually 16 euro. This is lovely. Um, Nice soft tannins, loads of fruit, really, really fruit forward style. But that lovely spicy. And then at mid palate, there's this lovely complexity that just goes on and on. 
lovely wine. I mean, it just shows what Portugal is capable of doing. So Colossal Reserve of 2018. Independent off license is sixteen euro. Okay, can't do uh, can't do wrong with that. Uh, somebody wants to know, Chris, were you referring to the missed movie or the missed Netflix series? I don't want to watch the wrong one. Uh, the movie, yeah, the movie, yeah. Uh, and then the book, yeah. As well. yeah. And Claire says, are we are we forgiving uh, M Night uh, for the unintentional comedy classic that was The Happening? Oh, I've just come to accept The Happening as a comedy classic and yes. that's the best way to enjoy it. <laughs> Speaking of comedy classic, well, we'll find out. Your place or mine is on Netflix. Here's a clip. Good morning. Good morning. Happy birthday, much younger person. What? We're the same age. Not in lady years. In lady years, I'm a crone. And somehow you'll still be considered sexy at like 70, no matter how wrinkled and bald you get. So congratulations. I'll admit it. It's a good deal. Oh, I got you the greatest birthday present. You got me a Porsche. 356? No, the 911. Purple, right? She actually bought him a car? I don't know what she bought him. Yeah, I, I, I don't even remember that scene. Okay, Sean, never mind. Uh, that, right. think, okay. that was at the start of the film when yeah. I had hope about this thing and then it all disappeared. Like Reese Witherspoon's career has, has kind of come back, especially in kind of telly yeah. things she's produced. Ashton Kushner? It's kind of just, he's just always there somewhere in the mm. background. But I think what actually binds these two is they've actually made an awful, they've, they've made a lot of money behind the scenes, you know, as business people. Right. Um, Reese Witherspoon has made an awful lot of money producing things. Yes, she has appeared. But she, she does also have a successful acting career. Yes, look at yeah. Big Little Lies, look at yeah. The Morning Show. Uh, probably a more successful acting career than Ashton Kutcher. I wouldn't put the two of them together. And I was even thinking before I watched this thing that I wouldn't have put them in the romantic comedy. And the reason for that is I've always thought they looked kind of similar. What? They have this kind of like, si- yeah. You mean like incest vibes? I, I wasn't expecting that, but yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, but the whole time watching this film, despite the fact that they don't share scenes together, and an awful lot, well, a lot, a lot of their scenes are you know through FaceTime or split screen magic, whatever it is. Right. Um, they, I was thinking, wow, they have kind of a similar you know bone structure. There's quite some. I just I would never have said that. Sure, she is blonder, he is darker. It's when you look at them okay, for two hours that yeah. you start to think, oh god, there's. But a she kind of she's like working. a bit uptight, and he's like. You know, stoner and kind that's, of thing, and that's know? the that's the sort of deal that we're being sold right, here, which okay. is which is weird. Uh, but yeah, they are, and it's it actually like like Knock at the Cabin, and this is where the similarities end. It actually starts well in that we are taken back to two thousand two thousand three to their first meeting, and the film kind of employs this self aware humor where it's literally pointing out and putting things on the screen to let you know it's this time because look at his you know uh, look at his jeans chain, look at the hats that they're they're wearing, look at the music that they're listening to. And I was thinking, oh, this is going to be quite playful. We're going to go full on Fleabag with this and everyone's going to know that they're in a romantic comedy. That's where that joke ends, unfortunately. But it's where the characters begin. These two characters, Peter and Debbie, they meet each other. They have a game of poker with some friends. They have a one night stand, but they don't call one another after that night. Eventually, they come across one another and rather than, you know, reconvene their, their, or rather than, you know, uh, uh, engage in in, in a romance, they become best friends. So 20 odd years have passed and he is in New York working as one of those movie consultant Sean where they just say they're a consultant and you go well that means they must have lots of money look and they have a nice apartment and yeah okay I don't know what it is that they do but they're very successful at it and she is an accountant 
at a school in Los Angeles. So yeah, so there's two and a half thousand miles between them, but they keep in touch every single day. Now she one week has to go to New York for studies for an exam uh, as part of her accountancy. Again, her job is not really explained very well. And he has just finished up at his latest firm and he wants a bit of a vacation. So she needs a babysitter. He wants a holiday. They decide to do something from Nancy Myers the holiday. They swap gaffes. For right. The week. Okay. So they get to kind of, you know, plot around and faff about in one another's lives and learn a bit more about the people. They think they know everything about each other, but they learn not only have they been, you know, keeping secrets from one another. For example, Peter has written a book and wants to be an author. Uh, they also realize, oh my God, I'm in love with my best friend. And that's the basic premise we then I'm guessing that's not even a spoiler that's not even a spoiler no this is a romantic comedy and it's a romantic comedy that kind of subscribes to this idea that you can absolutely 100% make a romantic comedy without the romantic leads sharing a scene together that is possible look at Sleepless in Seattle I mean that it, it's been done before, and you know if you do it well, then you know it's 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 a lot it's a lot of fun to work with. Unfortunately, Ashton Kutcher is not Tom Hanks, and unfortunately, Reese Witherspoon, who is a much better actor than Ashton Kutcher is, she kind of struggles with the Meg Ryan part. But I don't think that's entirely her fault. I think the dialogue here is just it's 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 not it's not sharp enough. It's not funny enough. Um, and and there's just no chemistry between them mm. you're looking the whole time in this film for some sort of romantic tension to rear its head but there's nothing between them look at the look at the way they've been actually promoting the film and they're trying to turn it into a joke now they're, they've become a meme at this stage where the two of them are standing on a red carpet and they don't even have their arm around they don't have to put their arm around one another but they, they at least have to look as though they like one another and they are very bad at doing well, that funny that that's what we're getting texts it just seems to be that they hate each other they don't seem to get along that much in this film and it just everything Things gone wrong. Even Steve Zahn, the delightful Steve Zahn, um, who recently, well, last year was was so good in The White Lotus. I mm. always give an extra star to a film that has Steve Zahn in it. He's just ever since he he popped up in that thing you do in the nineties that you know Tom Hanks who we mentioned yeah. directed. Um, he's just been a joy. Every supporting role he's in, he's in this as a neighbor of Reese's character who's actually in love with her. And like everyone else in this, you know, uh, Steve Zahn, Tig Notaro, Rachel Bloom, given sweet okay. all to do yeah. and, and, and it's just such a shame because you have so many cool attractive talented people in this thing make a joke have it be romantic but it's none of those things oh, it's God. just it's a whole lot of nothing and it's such a shame because I just kept looking at it for two hours going do better be mm. better you know, you could you could have made something very you know funny out of this out of this premise but no they don't they barely try when was the last time Netflix actually made a good movie Oh, there, there have been some good Netflix movies. There have been some good Netflix uh, films that uh, where when they work with you know great filmmakers like uh, there was White Noise, there's Guillermo del Toro's uh, Pinocchio. Um, yeah, there's some terrific stuff there's in some. there, but it does seem at the minute as though they're kind of knocking out these cheap. And I should say, rather than shoot scenes in front of green screens that will make it look like they're outside, shoot outside. Yeah, wow, <laughs> radical just, idea. Just that's, shoot uh, That's crazy talk yeah. there, Chris. Stop that now. Uh, because, and we were already talking about this during the break, uh, uh, Jonah Hill and uh, Lauren London in uh, You People. Oh, Again, God. no chemistry between those people at all. Very disappointing. I thought this might actually be a bit of crack, this movie. It's absolutely terrible for a number of reasons. The actual storyline um, is way too try hard. It, it's supposed to be about kind of social commentary and can people from two different backgrounds get along. But actually, I think it 
just almost reinforced stereotypes, to be honest. Didn't think it was a good movie. But uh, Jonah Hill, still a great actor. Thought he's, you know, he's still a great actor. Lauren London, not so much. But people had a big problem with the fact that there was zero chemistry between these two guys on, on, on set in every single scene. To the point where there was a story this week, they are now being accused of faking. So at the end, I won't tell you the story, but well, it doesn't really matter. It's a terrible movie. Anyway, they get together at the end. There's the big kiss, the big payoff. And it turns out the big kiss was actually a CGI kiss. I know. How do you CGI a kiss? It sounds made up. So one of the other actors who was in the movie was giving an interview in a podcast and he was kind of commenting on their chemistry and he said during this big scene he was watching them go in for the kiss and the director yelled cut just before their lips touched and he was like oh in the movie they'll just cut it there or they're not going to show them kissing but in the movie and if you watch it back it's really funny they do kiss but it's like this weird blurry clearly computer done thing where their their lips just kind of blurred together. Now, people were saying, oh yeah, clearly there's no chemistry, they won't even kiss. But actually, turns out it was filmed in 2021 during COVID and this Ah. was probably why they didn't kiss. But to be honest, if you're making a movie and a lot of people did it, you quarantine with the person you have to have intimate scenes with. So it seems a bit bizarre that they didn't do that. Or like they did in EastEnders, put a plastic sheet between them and they... Did you hear about that during COVID? They made the actors kiss with plastic sheets in between them and then they removed it in post-production. Wow. Shocking. EastEnders, Um, who knew? (laughs) What an innovative production that is. Let's get back into that, John. They've got members of Spando Valley in the movie. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Jonah Hill, though, I must say, annoying. I've started, I know, he's been in some great movies, but in the last few years, just annoying. He just plays Jonah Hill. Even in that movie, like that documentary with him and his shrink, Oh, uh, yeah. That was Jonah Hill. You, I think with a shrink being Jonah Hill. Do you, you feel know? about Jonah Hill the way I feel about Olivia Coleman? That's what I'm getting here. No. no. Is, I'm, I'm, I'm close to allergy about Jonah oh, Hill at this point. <laughs> yeah. I still like Jonah Hill. I still think he's a good actor. I thought, yeah. like, shockingly, he actually was good in this absolute car crash of a movie. So, yeah. on Team Jonah. Okay. You go for that. You go, girl. Uh, <laughs> thanks to Jean and Rachel and Chris. Movies and booze. I'm Moncrief. On News Talk.